Well, hey, if you have your Bible, go to 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning. 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, if you're on the Bible app, you can also uh, head over there. If you click the More tab and then Events, you can always find us there at Hillside Missionary Church or the words uh, right, right behind me. Uh, as well. If you are on the Bible app, uh, you can skip the paper bulletin if you, feel, if you don't feel like uh, having one of those. You can find all the information uh, right there. Hey, we're going to continue a story that we started last week about a guy named Naaman. He is a Gentile uh, uh, leader of an army. He led the Syrian army, and he was extremely successful in that. But remember what we saw last week. It wasn't about Naaman's skill. It wasn't about him leading the army so well that gave him victory. It was that the Lord had his hand in it. And in this, Naaman, he's a guy with leprosy, a horrible skin disease. He gets wind of someone in Israel being able to heal him. So he goes over there, and it's Elisha. It's this prophet. We've been talking about this guy for a while now. We're kind of in the middle of his ministry. He's one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And so Elisha, he tells him what to do. Naaman eventually does it. He's faithful, and then he's healed of his leprosy. And so now we're going to pick up that story and he's going to go back to Elisha to thank him. So follow along with me. 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 15. This is what it says. Then he returned to the man of God and he and all his company. And he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So now accept a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this manner may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I will bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this manner. He said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, in not accepting from him his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men from the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in his house. And he sent the men away and they departed. And when he went in and stood before his master, Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? He said, your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. We're going to talk about what this uh, short story means uh, for us today. Before we do that, 
Would you just join me in prayer and ask for God's help with that? Pray with me, if you will. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's good, that it's perfect, that it's authoritative over our lives, that we can rely on it. And Father, I pray that as we talk about it this morning, I pray that it wouldn't just be something that we listen to at church or something that our eyes glance at and we just leave unaffected. But God, I pray that by taking a look at your word, at this, this story here, God, that you would grow your relationship with us, that we would leave this place, as we asked earlier, in a deeper relationship with you than when we first came in, that we would be able to worship you, serve you, build up your kingdom here better because of the time that we spent worshiping together, looking at your word, Father. Would you soften our hearts to your will this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I have uh, something odd to confess to you this morning. Uh, for the past three years, I have had uh, the same thing for breakfast almost every single day. Uh, and this is what it is. Uh, I'm kind of stuck in a rut. Uh, in the morning, I am uh, neither. Some people are morning people. Some people are evening people. I am neither. Uh, I like my sleep. And so in the morning, uh, before I drink some coffee, I'm a little bit of a zombie when I wake up. And uh, I'm waking up, and I don't have the mental capacity to choose out a different breakfast. And so here's what I've chosen for morning Josh each and every single day. Uh, it's two frozen hash browns. I pop in the toast oven and while those are baking I scramble up a couple of uh, eggs and I throw some cheese on top and it melts in and then I put it all together because I'm a slob and I eat everything together and I eat it and it's delicious and uh, that's what I have for breakfast every morning if you'd like my recipe feel free to use it uh, I, it's not uh, there's no trademark on it so feel free to eat it it's delicious uh, but I am stuck in a rut when it comes to breakfast Sometimes we get stuck in ruts, right? Maybe you're stuck in a rut, and it, it, maybe for you, you eat the same thing for breakfast every day, or you eat the same thing for lunch, or when you go to pack your lunch, it's always a turkey sandwich and string cheese and chips. That's also my breakfast, or my lunch as well, so I get stuck in that rut as well. Maybe you're stuck in a rut, and it can be neutral things like food. It could be a routine of, well, this is when I do the laundry, or this is when I do the dishes, or this is when I get my errands done, or, or whatever it might be. Maybe it's something really good that you've formed a habit. Maybe for you, every morning, uh, you wake up early, and you spend time with the Lord, and you get into His Word, and you're spending time in prayer, and maybe for you, it's just this really good routine, and that could be really good in our lives. The problem is, though, routines and patterns and ruts can also be really bad in our lives as well. If you've ever gotten caught up in a bad routine where it's leading you to sin, you know, man, this is rough and it's difficult to get out of sometimes. It's difficult to free yourself of those sinful ruts. As we take a look at this story here, there's this guy named Gehazi. He's a servant of Elisha, and we've seen him in a few different stories so far in Elisha's life here. He seems like a good enough guy. He seems like a faithful servant. He's sticking with Elisha, and he does a lot of stuff for Elisha. However, in this passage, he royally messes up. Man, he really misses the mark here. And we're going to take a look at what happens to him. Remember, uh, at the beginning of this story, it's kind of a continuation of what we talked about last week with Naaman, and he goes to thank Elisha. He tries to give him some of the money, remember? He came, if you remember, with the amount of money he came with, that was a million to a million and a half dollars in today's day and age. It's tough to translate that, but I mean, we're talking about a lot 
of money. And Elisha says, no, I, I don't want your money. I'm not out for the money here. I, I don't need your money. God takes care of me. And so he leaves, but Gehazi sees this happen, and he's like, man, I want that. And I kind of see a pattern in Gehazi's life here. And I don't know if this is true or not, but this is my guess. My guess is Gehazi probably had some bitterness towards Naaman. You see, not only is Naaman a Gentile, he's outside of the Jewish lineage. He also fought against Israel. He fought against Israel, and not only was he a soldier, he was a leader of the army. Israel lost men. Israel lost soldiers because of Naaman. Naaman killed Israelites. And my guess is, we're not, it doesn't say this in the text, we don't find this in the text, but this is my guess. My guess is that Gehazi probably looked at Naaman with a lot of prejudiceness. He probably looked at him and said, you're a dirtbag. You killed Israelites. I can't believe you would do that. And now my, my, my person that I'm, I'm stuck with, Elisha, I'm serving him, I'm working for him, he's just going to let you go without even having to pay? Like, are, this is crazy. You have all this money. You want to give it to Elisha. Elisha heals you for free and then sends you away. This is not good. And then Gehazi, it says, he says this, See, my servant has spared this name in the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. And then he says this. He gets bent on, on this idea. He goes, as the Lord lives. And listen, if you know, if you're a stubborn person, you know what this attitude looks like. If you have stubborn children, you know what this attitude looks like. As the Lord lives, he gets bent on something. He goes, I'm after him. I'm going to get something from him. I'm going to get something from that guy. He killed Israelites. I'm going to get something from him. Do you see the pattern that starts? It starts with maybe just some prejudice. Then it starts with having a greedy heart. And then he does this. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when he saw someone coming after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him. And he says, all is well. Naaman's an upright guy. He's a classy dude. He sees somebody running after him, and he doesn't, he doesn't try to run away. He doesn't try and fight them. He just goes, hey, is everything okay? And Gehazi answers him by saying, yeah, it, it, it's all good. But then he comes up with this lie. He says, oh, listen, we've just had these couple of guys come. And so, you know what, Elisha, he sent me here. He wants some, some money and maybe some changes of clothes, too. And so Naaman, he's an upright guy. He's a classy dude. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. I would be honored to do that. Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and, and tied up two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothing. And then he even lays them on his own servants. He says, hey, not only that, I'm going to get you the guys to carry these things so that you're not even going to be burdened on the way back. Essentially, he says, hey, listen, let me get you a taxi. I'll pay for it, okay? That way you don't have to, that way you don't have to walk back. This is just going to be great. I'm going to bless you through this. Naaman doesn't even ask questions. If I were Naaman, I think I'd be like, uh, really? Why are, this is interesting. Let me go back. Let me investigate the situation, right? Let me see what's going. Maybe I could talk to Elisha directly. I don't want to just hand willy-nilly without knowing where it's going to go. But look, look at this name, and he, man, he's just got a good heart about him. And he just says, hey, listen, if you say you need this, here you go, and you just take it, and I'm going to bless you through that. And then it says, man, and this is Gehazi, he goes from 
being prejudiced, to having greed in his heart, to lying, and, and honestly, not even just lying, but now he's making up stories. I mean, this is a, this is a, a, a pre-thought-out type of thing, premeditated thing that he's doing. And then it says, when he got to the hill, right? So now no one can even see what he's doing. He goes to the servants and he says, hey, I, I got it from here. I got it from here. Let me, let me take this. He doesn't even want the servants to see what he's doing. He doesn't want to get caught in his lie. Think about this. He goes from one sin to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And so these guys go, and then he gets confronted about it. And Elisha goes and he says, hey, um, where have you been? Now, we know because of verse 26, Elisha knows. Elisha knows. Parents, it's kind of like this when your kid comes out uh, and you told them not to eat candy and they got chocolate all over their face. What have you been eating? Nothing, right? Like, I mean, this is really what's happening here. He goes, hey, I, I, I was, I was, your servant was nowhere, right? I mean, it's literally like a little kid trying to cover up his tracks. And that's what happens when you get caught in these lies. He has to cover up a lie with another lie, with another lie, with another lie. And he gets caught in this cycle. It reminds me of what the book of James talks about. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, look at this, each person is tempted when he is lured in and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it, can, it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is what's happening with Gehazi. It starts with a small desire. I want to see name and pay. I'm going to take the money from him. I'm going to lie to get it. Now I'm going to cover up with the servants. Oh, now when Elisha confronts me, I'm going to cover it up again. I'm going to be deceitful about where I was. This is what Gehazi goes through. He has sin in his life, and it's a sin cycle. One sin leads to another leads to another, leads to another, which the book of James and Romans 6.23 tells us that sin leads to death. If you feel like maybe you're in this cycle today, if you feel like, man, I've just got caught in a bad rut, a sinful cycle where one sin has led to another, has led to another, has led to another, and I don't know how to break it. I don't have the power to break it. I want you to realize three things. Number one, Sin leads to more sin. If you've ever gotten caught in this, and I think we all have if we're honest in our lives today. Um, I, I, sorry, I dropped my remote there. I, I think we've all gotten caught in the sin cycle at one point in our lives or another. Where one sin has led to another, has led to another. Maybe it started with a little white lie, and then someone said, uh, are you sure? And they started to investigate a little bit. And so you've got to kind of cover that up with a, a little bit bigger of a lie. And then someone else comes in and they said, hey, so-and-so told me about this. Can you tell me a little bit more? And then you've got to cover that up with a bigger lie. And then you've got to cover that up with a bigger lie until eventually it's so difficult you can't keep track what you told one person and another person and another person. But that person knows the truth, so I've got to tell him. And sin leads to sin. And that's not only with lies. Gossip leads to gossip. Lust means to more lust. Uh, doing things out of your anger that is sinful leads to doing more things out of your anger that is sinful. These patterns and these cycles that we get caught up in, man, they can really take us down this rut. But here's the good news. 
Not only does sin lead to sin, but the good news is righteousness leads to more righteousness. Um, My brothers and I uh, are taking a camping trip this spring, and we're going to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and we're going to camp there for two nights. The problem is it's a mile deep. And uh, I don't know if you knew this about me, but Exhibit A would show you I'm not in the best of shape and I cannot climb out of the Grand Canyon in my current shape. And so I've started going to the gym and I'm doing incline exercises to gain some muscle and to hopefully lose some fat as well. But, uh, and you also know this about me. I love Taco Bell. You know where I don't want to go after I went to the gym? It's Taco Bell, right? Because you don't want to just blow all that good things that you've done at the gym. And righteousness leading to righteousness kind of works like that. It, it kind of works like that. Like when you spend time in the morning reading your Bible, you spend time in the morning with the Lord in prayer. And then when you're done and your spouse tells you something that, man, I don't really want to hear that right now. Or, man, I feel like you could have had a better attitude. Chances are you're going to deal with that a little bit better because of the time that you spent with the Lord. Chances are you can deal with traffic on your way to work better without having road rage in your life because you had spent time with the Lord and one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience and self-control. Chances are if you spend time with the Lord in prayer and in His Word, when you get to work in the morning and your boss is just being a total jerk, you're not going to lose it on him because again, One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control and patience. And so now I can take this and I can honor the Lord with my response to my life. Sin leads to sin, but righteousness leads to righteousness. It's like what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. He says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering, look at this, this is the cycle of righteousness leading to righteousness, produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And it starts to change our identity. And when we spend time with God and, and, and we do the right thing and then we move on to the situation and righteousness leads to righteousness and we can honor God with our responses and the way that we interact with people, it changes who we are. And we remember what Jesus has done for us. And we remember what it says in Galatians 5.1 when it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus has set us free here. Which leads me to my next point here. Take a look back in verse 25 in our story. Did you catch this? Elisha, he confronts, he confronts uh, uh, Gehazi, his servant here. And he already knows what Gehazi has done. And Gehazi, man, your servant is nowhere. It's a heartbreaking response. Because this is interesting to me. Elisha knows where he's been. He doesn't have to ask. He doesn't have to ask Gehazi. He knows. He can, he can slam through the door and say, Gehazi, you lying uh, person, you, you lying servant, I can't believe that you've done this. Man, I, you are just a terrible person here. He doesn't do that, though. He asks him. And it, it kind of leads to a question, why does he ask? It's a similar question that we have in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve sin, right? And the Lord finds him and he says, hey, why are you covered up, right? I, I, didn't, I didn't leave you with clothes on, right? You've got these leaves that are covering you up. He knows exactly, right? 
He knows exactly what they did. He knows exactly what led them there. He gives them an opportunity to confess and repent. Just like Elisha here is giving his servant Gehazi an opportunity to confess and repent. The Lord comes to us in our sin, in our ruts, in our cycles of, 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 of just bad decisions that don't honor the Lord. He comes to us and he says, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing here? He gives us an opportunity to repent and confess and come to faith. If you feel like you're caught up in the sin cycle, what you need to realize is that the only way to break this, the only way to break the sin cycle is to go to Jesus in faith and repent. And listen, repenting, it's more than just saying you're sorry. Right? Like Paul will say in his letters to the churches, he says, hey, listen, uh, should we just go on sinning, realizing that, oh, God will forgive us? Of course not. That separates us from the Lord. That hurts our relationship. If we've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, we realize we shouldn't just go on and let sin abound in our life. We need to try and honor Him with everything that we do. And it's nothing that we do that earns our salvation. It's already what Jesus has done for us already, like Ephesians 2 tells us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not by your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, if you feel like God's confronting you today and saying, Hey, what have you been up to? What have you been doing? What have you been looking at? What have you been saying? What have you been thinking? Now's your opportunity. Just like as Peter uh, preaches on the day of Pentecost to the giant crowd, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or what Jesus says in Luke chapter 13 to the crowd when he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The theme is that we need to come to Jesus when we find ourselves in these sin cycles, when we find ourselves wandering away from Him, and we find ourselves being confronted and saying, hey, what have you been up to? The path is clear. And we can hold on to the promise that Jesus gives us. The promise that 1 John 1.9 tells us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, if you feel like you're caught up in a sin cycle right now, in a sin rut in your life, hold on to this verse, memorize it, write it on your, on your mirror in your bathroom, write it on the inside of your car, whatever you need to do to get this in front of you, keep this on the forefront of your mind because it's a promise that you can hold on to. Don't make Gehazi's mistake. Don't make Gehazi's mistake that said, I'm just going to try and cover it up. No matter what, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try and cover this up and that's good enough and, and, and no one's ever going to find out because I'm smarter than everybody else and I can, I can figure this out and I can cover up my sins and, and my greed and my lust for things and, and I, I'm just going to keep covering this up here. Listen, don't make that mistake. Hold on to the promise that Jesus gives you that's recorded here in 1 John 1.9. He will forgive you. All you have to do is say, hey, I'm sorry, and I turn from those things. Because repenting is more than just saying you're sorry. It's turning away from what you've been doing and saying, Jesus, I don't want to live this way any longer. 
One more thing I want to point out from this passage of Scripture before we run out of time here. It's actually right at the beginning when we, when we hear about Naaman's response to being saved from leprosy. So in verse 15, Naaman here, he's saved from his leprosy. He was faithful with what Elisha told him to do. He goes and he washes in the Jordan River seven times. He, he comes out and now he wants to repay Elisha. He, he says, man, this is great. This is awesome. I, I, I really want to give you everything that I have. It's a great response that we can learn to say, hey, listen, when we're saved, when God acts towards us faithfully, we can go back to Him and we can say, God, I give you everything I have because of your faithfulness, because of your goodness, because of your grace, Jesus. I give you my life. This is what Naaman is doing with Elisha. However, Elisha says, hey, listen, um, I don't need it. I don't need this. I, I, I don't need your money. I, I don't need your stuff. And he urged him to take it, it says, but Elisha refused. And then Naaman, this is so interesting to me. It, it kind of is a little bit of a tangent in the story. And maybe when we were reading through this originally, uh, you thought, man, this is weird. Uh, why on earth would he want two mule loads of dirt? This is what he says. He says, if not, uh, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any god but the Lord. So he's saying, hey, listen, I get it. Your God is the only true God, the God of Israel. He's the only true God. This is good. Naaman's coming to faith here, but he's asking for two loads of dirt, which is kind of weird. And you might ask yourself, what's going on with the two loads of dirt? Um, unless you're like owning an excavating company or something, I don't know what two loads of dirt are going to do for you. But then he goes on and he, he kind of explains it. He says, hey, listen, I, I want for God to, to forgive me in this way. He talks about worshiping Ramon. And Ramon is a, a pagan god that the Syrians, that's where uh, Naaman is from, they would worship Ramon. And it's a pagan god. He's a false god. But they would uh, worship him. He's the god of the Syrians. And so uh, what Naaman describes here. It's, it's almost a little bit superstitious. He says, hey, listen, I want Israelite dirt. I want dirt from Israel because I want to take that back. And when people go to worship in Ramon, I want to step on Israelite dirt and worship the one true God. Now, we know, uh, and we could look at Naaman and go, that's kind of a good heart, but the dirt you worship on doesn't really matter, right? I mean, we worship on concrete and carpet. You could worship on grass. You could worship at asphalt in a Walmart parking lot. And it doesn't really change what you do, right? I mean, it's good no matter where you're worshiping. What you're worshiping on doesn't really matter. However, Naaman, he's just a little baby Christian. He doesn't get that. He believes in the one true God, and, and he's trying his absolute best. And Elisha, he knows better. He knows, hey, listen, you don't need two truckloads of dirt here, man. Just go worship God no matter where your feet may fall. And Elisha, he chooses and he says, listen, I'm going to let God work that out. He's probably not ready to hear about that quite yet. So, you know what? Your heart's really good. And he just sends him off in peace. I want you to think about Naaman. Again, he killed Israelites. He's like Paul in the New Testament. He can look back and say, man, I killed Christians. That was wrong. Paul, because of that, calls himself the worst sinner 
of awe. In, in fact, the Holy Spirit led him to write nearly half of the New Testament, and he still calls himself the worst of all sinners. Why? Because he killed Christians. Naaman is in a similar situation. He's saved now, but his past, man, it's terrible. And even his current uh, situation, he doesn't understand what God has done for him fully. He doesn't understand the life that God has for him fully. He's still kind of stuck with these superstitious uh, mindsets about worshiping God. Yes, he's a believer in the one true God, but he doesn't really truly get it quite yet. And yet, God looks at him and he says, I love you, Naaman. And I want you to be in a relationship with me. Last thing I want to point out is that you need to realize that God desires all people, regardless of their past, regardless of what they're doing now, regardless of their sins. God desires all people to be saved and in a relationship with him, to be saved by Jesus Christ. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, not just for a few, not just for some but for all. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 1 Timothy 2.3-4 says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. John 3.16, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know this, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, not if just, not just few, but whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, this is good news for each and every one of us. Because none of us have good paths. The Bible tells us each and every one of us have sin. We've all fallen into this pattern of sin leading to sin in our lives. It's the reality of being human. Sin is something that we will all deal with in our lives. And yet, just like God looked at Naaman, He looks at you and I, and He says, I know your past. I know what you've done. I know exactly what you've been through. And I love you. And I want a relationship with you. And I sent my one and only son to die on the cross for you so that we could have this relationship. And remember, just like I said earlier, it's not about what we can do to have a relationship with Jesus. It's about what Jesus has already done for us. And He is the way, the truth, and the life. He says this in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12 will repeat this same promise that says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen, if you find yourself unhappy with your relationship with the Lord today, and you're saying, I'm still a believer, but man, Maybe it's not how it used to be. Maybe you've fallen away a little bit. Maybe you've gotten caught in a cycle, in a pattern of sin in your life. Look at this promise. Jesus says, I want that to change today because of what I've already done for you. And the only way that can happen is when God comes to you and He says, what have you been up to? Don't make Gehazi's mistake and try to lie. Don't make Gehazi's mistake and blow it off. The way to deal with this is to go to the Lord and say, this is what I've done and I'm sorry. I turn from my ways. I accept your forgiveness in my life, Jesus. And I want to live my life in a way that you created me to be. 
John 10.10 tells us this, that Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest, which means that we're not just living for heaven. We're not just living for eternity. God said, I'm giving you life right here, right now. I'm setting you free from sin. You don't need to live in the sin pattern. God has something better than sin can offer you. It's a life with Jesus. It's a life that honors and worships Him in all that we have. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who feels like, man, I'm just caught on the sin cycle. Father, I pray for, I pray for them that they would come to you. They would come to you in faith and repent accept your forgiveness, and live the life that you created them to live. Father, I pray that we would all take you up on that. That you've given us life and life to the fullest. I pray that we wouldn't settle for a sinful life. I pray that we wouldn't get caught into the same sins that Gehazi got caught into. God, I pray that we would live our lives in a way that would honor you, that would glorify you, that you designed us to live, Father. Help us to live that life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, in your insert or on the Bible app, there are some reflection questions. I really encourage you, take some time with that this afternoon. Take some time with those questions. Uh, those will help you to guide you through what we talked about this morning. Uh, I just really encourage you to do that. Hey, church, I love you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.